0: Dear caustic soda podcast, I love listening to you guys every week. You're the best and grossest. I particularly loved the poo episode, but I have one issue with that particular episode. Torrin's story about having to poo in a bag is factually incorrect on one very important point. Torrin didn't take his own bag of poo out to the garbage. Everything else is correct. His roommate, me, got up in the morning and went to the bathroom, as is normal. And I did then hop in the shower because Torrin intended to wake up later. So I apologize retroactively for putting you in that position, namely squatting on the kitchen floor, pooing into a bag. But I take offense at the point that you say you packaged it all up and then took out the garbage yourself because you didn't. You threw it in the garbage and then you went back to your bedroom. And then I got out of the shower and went to work. And being a helpful roommate said, I'll take the garbage out. It wasn't until two days later I found out what a toxic biohazard I was taking out to the garbage for you. So there, I'm never listening again. Love, Chris.
1: I've got gorilla lice? But but we were just cuddling. I'm Kevin Leeson. Bomb Party. Meh. Oh, rainbow bomb party.
2: Sign me up. I'm Torn Atkinson. Find out how the
3: British air disaster led to intrusive cameras in my junk. But not how you think. I'm Warren Banks.
4: Be very, very careful with that bag of entrails. I'm Joe Fulgham, and this is Caustic Soda.
0: It's the Caustic Soda Podcast! Yay!
2: It's time to set the mics up, it's time for tales of woe It's time to take the red pill on the caustic soda
5: show
2: It's time to do our research, unless your name is Joe It's time to load the wiki on the caustic soda show
0: to
5: introduce our guest star. That's what I'm here to do. So it makes me very hungry to introduce to you Warren Banks! Yay! But now let's get things started. Why don't you get things started?
2: It's time to get things
5: started on the informational, aberrational, strangulational, nauseational strap in for the caustic soda show!
1: Has
2: everyone who's listening to this current episode heard our first follow-up episodes?
1: Because if you haven't, you might want to go back and listen to follow-ups part one. But it's not an, it's not necessary per se. But. It's kind of
2: odd that you would start our follow-ups episode with a
4: follow-up about our follow-up episode.
1: Uh, not odd at all. Actually, it makes perfect sense.
4: Well, I didn't mean odd isn't wrong. I just meant <laughs> odd isn't. It's kind of odd. It's apropos. Okay, it's apropos and odd.
2: It's appropriate, It's kind of like you, <laughs> odd but apropos. Today on Cosmic Soda, we are going to explore previous episodes, follow-ups, uh, listener mail, and as our very special guest today, we have Banks!
3: <laughs> Hi, everybody! Thanks for inviting me.
2: <laughs> I always thought, and it was- I
3: must
1: say, Torren's impersonation of me was a little off. <laughs> The reason Warren Banks is here as our special guest is because he has made more comments on well, primarily the website, right, Warren? Well, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Let, let this uh, be a lesson for all you listeners out there. If you <laughs> respond to all of our episodes <laughs> and, on... And live in the greater Vancouver area and yeah. can get to the studio. You uh, you and, may be a future guest and, on the Cossack Soda Podcast. And have seen Torn naked, or at least changing. Well, I've seen, his
3: feet, I've seen his feet, feet unshorn.
2: Unshorn. Aren't you going to ask Warren what his bona fides are?
3: <laughs> As uh, Torrin's alluded to on several other podcasts He has a rock band I am in said rock band I Wait, am the co-founder Torn of Torrin has a rock band? Yeah, mm-hmm. A Cthulhu-esque rock band I am uh, co-founder of said rock band So we are the original Darkest of the
2: Hillside Thickets And we're playing at Cthulhu Pluz on February 18th yes. In Vancouver, BC yes. at the rickshaw So what kind of follow-ups do we have today? Well, have no before idea. we get
3: started, Torrin I took the liberty in the caustic soda podcast tradition of uh, looking up the origin of the word "follow," okay, and I thought it was particularly uh, apropos because apropos, uh, old English, Apropos. fulgen, fulgen, yeah, yeah, follower, company. So, Joe, Interesting. given Joe's last name, so
1: given yeah. Joe's last name, it means he's a follower of ham.
3: Yeah, or if he's uh, a <laughs> Western Germanic, <laughs> Aren't he we is uh, <laughs> he obeys or applies oneself to a practice.
2: No, Fulgrim
4: is is uh, my family's from uh, Wales originally. So
2: we'd have to go with the old English, Wales? So you came out of the mouth of Wales, or both. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps from, Wales from put him here. Yeah, but so I
1: guess they anglicized it because originally it was spelled like it's spelled now, but it was pronounced like "Falling You're not enough. We're going to uh, talk about my
4: there. stupid last name. <laughs> the theory is <laughs> that uh, what happened was when they came over, you know, they, they show up at the docks of the New World and they say, "What's your name?" And they, my name is John. They say, John." And the guy says, "How do you spell that?" And he goes, "I don't know how to spell." And whoever had to write down his name went, well, he's from England, so it's got to have an H-A-M on the end. <laughs> mm, <laughs> and then yeah. just went, uh, gee. And that's how it worked. So you Fly try ham. to look up the etymology of my last name, and nobody really knows what it is. They think it might be... Uh, Fulcrum. No. <laughs> they think it might be <laughs> like a bastardization of, of the French foljam, jam, meaning bad leg or silly
3: leg. Well, there's also a compound, apparently, full gan, with a mm. sense of full going. Hmm. Maybe they're asking him... Uh, how do you feel being here and he said oh full again yeah. and uh, oh your name's Fulgan. But then again. The but then yeah. again. Right, <laughs> making people's names based on how they feel at yeah. the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the first thing that comes out of your mouth when you hit the New World, that was your last name. <laughs>
1: yeah. Where, uh, in the initial follow ups episode, where did we end? What subject Actually, matter did we end? We before own. we get further, uh oh. I would like I think to. You keep, may have over prepared. I, I may
3: have. <laughs> there's a phobia of being followed. Of What's course there is. Torren?
4: Like, we never. Torren never gets to guess. What do you think
1: like, the fear Torn, of being what followed is? Mm. Mantrakophobia?
3: <laughs> Stockophobia. Everywhere I looked, even in medical journals, they said it was paranoia.
2: Oh. oh. Uh, so we, we left off at space warfare, but since our last episode, I have compiled a few interesting facts on the stuff that we already covered in our last follow up episode. Oh, oh Jesus. no! Uh, so I, we're I wasn't doing. Hold on, we're going to
1: open up follow ups part two with follow ups on follow ups. Yes. So this is yeah. a meta. Uh, will we ever catch up? No. <laughs> no, we won't.
2: Parasites go. The Meguro Parasitological Museum, billing itself as the only establishment in the world entirely devoted to parasites, this quirky little museum has become a popular offbeat attraction and even date spot I totally take my date there (laughs) in the relatively quiet Meguro neighborhood of Japan's sprawling capital. The ground floor might seem harmless enough. Lights flash on oversized maps of Japan to show where different parasites are present, but go up the stairs and things take a more gruesome turn.
1: They hold you down and put parasites in you?
2: (laughs) Photographs show the severely distended testicles of the unfortunate human host of a tropical bug. Nearby, a giant herpetological parasite pokes out of a bottled turtle's head. The museum has over 45,000 immersed and prepared parasite specimens in its collection. But the prize attraction... (laughs) Oh, wow. Prize attraction. ...is undoubtedly the world's longest tapeworm, all 8.8 meters of it. Woohoo! Oh, wow. Accompanied by a rope the same length that you can play with to get a real feel for the dimensions. <laughs> and, of course, the gift shop sells a cheery range of Parasite-themed T-shirts, key rings, and birthday cards.
4: Road trip! <laughs> and you know, you know how these get started. You know, you you get yourself one Parasite and put it on a shelf, and all of a sudden that's all you get for Christmas
2: is <laughs> <It's> Parasite-themed gifts, <laughs> <laughs> and
4: soon you've got to open up a museum. My brother
2: had the same problem with Basset hounds. So that's, ex- that's exciting Parasite uh, news that I found off of... Uh, a website called atlasobscura.com, which is pretty cool. Okay. Weird, unusual places that you never heard of. I got these next two short items off of a website that lists uh, the top ten cases of tampering. Uh Uh-huh. And this would go under the poison heading. Okay. In 2002, a grocery store in Grand Rapids, Michigan, recalled 1,700 pounds of ground beef after 111 people fell ill with nicotine poisoning. Randy J. Bertram, an employee at the store, had mixed insecticide called Black Leaf 40 into the meat in an attempt to get his supervisor into trouble. Oh, nice. The victims included about 40 children, a pregnant woman, and a 67-year-old man with heart problems.
1: I was about to posit the theory that uh, they accidentally butchered the infamous smoking cow. Smoking cow? Yeah, Because it was nicotine poisoning? Oh, I see. Uh,
2: Bertram was sentenced to nine years in prison and was ordered to pay $12,000 restitution. Uh, Nobody died, but um, uh, they could have. You they could have.
3: You know what? If could have died is going to be <laughs> your right. criteria from here on in. This show is going downhill sharply.
2: Well, let me tell you about a poisoning uh, tampering where some people did die. In 2003, in China's Hubei province, a woman named Chen Xiaomei poured rat poison into the rice served at her husband's funeral. Motivated by Motivated by a longstanding family feud. Oh, nice. Soon after consuming the rice, the guests began vomiting and shivering violently. One guest died approximately five minutes thereafter, with nine further guests dying, either at the table or in transit to hospital. What? Ten deaths? Yeah, and 23 people were made sick. Oh, my God. That is horrifying. Well, Chen had used the poison to punish her son and apparently did not intend any guests to die.
1: Wow. Yeah. When you're giving people rat poison, you're sort of rolling the bones on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's really
3: no gray area with poison.
1: Yeah, it says poison <laughs> right on the box, for God's sakes. Unless she's a
3: toxicologist, I really can't see how she would go, yeah, this is about right to make everyone <laughs> <Yeah>. sick. <laughs> yeah. Make everyone sick and not
1: This will teach them right. a lesson. Yeah, yeah.
4: In North America, we just like pee in it, you know. <laughs> To get that <laughs> yeah. kind of... Because then you've got the mental haha.
3: It's uh, That's a true story. I've worked in restaurants. I've seen the pee enter the food. Uh, oh, no! <laughs>
2: uh, do we want to talk about boaters' body parts found in Beast's belly from the Vancouver Sun recently?
4: Body parts found in the belly of a nearly four-meter-long tiger shark caught in the Bahamas have been identified as belonging to a local boater who went missing more than two weeks ago. Authorities. This were was able, when? This would be September 16th, 2010. Authorities were able to identify Judson Newton, a fishing boat employee by his fingerprints, according to local newspaper, The Tribune. So uh, the man was lost, and then on September 5th, an investment banker deep-sea fishing about 60 kilometers south of New Providence caught a tiger shark and was reeling it in when a leg popped out of its (laughs) mouth, (laughs) the
1: Tribune
4: reported. Authorities say when the shark was cut open, a male right leg, two severed arms, and a torso in two sections were found inside.
1: Do you think when the guy got back on shore, instead of putting the shark on that big hook to get his picture taken with it, he had the torso and the leg? No. <laughs> I think Look they what had, I caught. I think they kept the leg Dang, out of the mouth and wall. they used
3: that That's as right. a stand. Yeah. And the shark was off the pointed up from the That's leg. That's
4: right. He's, he's holding up a blowtorch to try and light the end of the leg for the shark as though it's like a big cigar. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: gag photos.
1: Facebook profile picture.
2: Very similar to your current uh, Thicket's costume, actually. Oh, yes, you're right. So we talked about on the cannibalism, uh, cannibalism episode, the Japanese guy whose name is?
4: Uh, Issei Sagawa.
1: Who had eaten... A European uh, student. Yeah. Yeah, While he was going to school in Paris? Uh, I think it was France. uh, It was the the something- At the Sorbonne, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Issei Sagawa was a uh, Japanese national who was going to school at the Sorbonne in Paris, Mm -hmm. and uh, he invited a young student over to tutor him. And he killed an eight. And he shot her in the back of the head and then proceeded to eat her over the next two days, and then wandered out into the street with a suitcase full of the remaining body parts because he was full. Yeah. And uh, he went to dump it in a lake in the park, and uh, somebody came over because they saw blood leaking out of it or something <laughs> and chased him down and tackled him and turned him into the police. Surely this person is still in prison.
4: Uh, you would think the problem was uh, his wealthy, pro- wealthy father provided a top lawyer for his defense. Uh, well, and he got being...
1: repatriated to Japan somehow. Like, he didn't stand trial in France. The Japanese government requested him back or something to stand trial in Japan. His wealthy father provided a top lawyer for his
4: defense, and after being held for two years without trial, the French judge found him obviously legally insane and unfit to stand trial and ordered Sagawa to be held indefinitely in a mental institution. Followed by a visit uh, from an author, his account of the murder was published in Japan with the title In the Fog and the subsequent publicity and macabre celebrity of Sagawa likely contributed to the French authorities' decision to have him extradited to Japan. Upon arrival in Japan, he was immediately taken to Matsuzawa Hospital, where examining psychologists all found him to be sane, but evil. However, Japanese authorities found it legally impossible to hold him, purportedly because they lacked certain important papers from the French court, As a result, Sagawa checked himself out of the mental institution on August 12th, 1986, and has been a free man ever since. Now, the update that we've got that's kind of big is there is a movie about him. A documentary. A documentary movie about him called VBS Meets Issei Sagawa on VBS.TV, which we'll link to in the show notes. And it's just him talking about it. And he's super
1: famous uh, in Japan. And This movie is not for the weak of heart because uh, they yeah. have autopsy photos. They have photos from the crime scene in the documentary. Uh, Sagawa himself illustrated the uh, his crime. And they have a copy like of Like a little comic book? Or? He,
4: he made a manga comic book. Yeah. And it is gross. It is gruesome. I,
3: uh, I was grossed out just by... The one sentence I accidentally read on the wiki, he had sex with her lower torso and legs and then ate it. Yeah. The second part there, Sagawa said he fainted after the shock of shooting her, but awoke with the realization that he had to carry out his desire to eat her. He did so beginning with her hips and legs after having sex with the corpse.
1: Oh, <sighs> of course. Yeah. You're not going to leave a perfectly good corpse lying around without having sex with it. I would. I don't know why he... Went to throw
3: away his
1: food, quote unquote. It was start, almost it like was, he, it was the classic. It was it was starting to smell, and he had to get rid of it's it. Almost it like he, he wasn't thinking rationally. Well, but <laughs> but,
3: but <laughs> how curious! You're gonna this. get hungry later.
4: Maybe his freezer was in too 1981 <laughs> in oh France. God, I guess
1: I'm, refrigeration wasn't quite up to snuff.
3: Clearly, he didn't grow up in the uh, Depression like my father did. Because <laughs> nothing that, wasted. That yeah. would have
1: that would have been frozen. Space warfare. Space Just do it. Warping. So our good friend Lucas Black, our our guest for the uh, air disasters
2: yep. episode, yeah, uh, he commented the missile defense laser-equipped 747 has been around for years. I've handled some of the test targets because we were talking about well, war in space, yeah, and lasers. Yeah, there were <laughs> like lasers like on 747s
1: that. that could shoot down missiles
2: or something. The right. laser burn yeah. hole is dinner plate sized and not caused by one shot. It is a traced thin beam that makes a tennis racket string pattern in fractions of a second.
0: Oh, that's oh, cool.
2: Interestingly enough, the aircraft designation is YAL1. Y is for prototype, A is for attack, and L is for laser. Yes, it is designated as an attack aircraft.
1: A stands for attack, L stands <clears> for later, <throat> and Y stands for prototype? Yeah. That, so why are we doing this? We're not sure. Let's try it. Let's see what happens. I I, I would like to know how Y became the symbol for prototype. Well,
2: P was already taken for (laughs) penis-shaped. It even has self-defensive small lasers planned. In fact, an add-in module was discussed for civil aircraft being fitted with defense lasers to protect them from terrorist rocketry attacks. And then I have another. uh, I've read an article on NPR.org called A Very Scary Light Show Exploding H-Bombs in Space. And you can actually uh, watch a video, which is uh, pretty neat because it talks about all the things that we described.
1: Will we put the video on uh, the the, the website? We'll put a
2: a link at the very least.
1: Cossacksodapodcast.com.
2: That's the place. Mm -hmm. Uh, Summer of 1962, the U.S. blew up a hydrogen bomb in outer space some 250 miles above the Pacific Ocean. It it was a weapons test, but one that created a man-made light show that has never been equaled and hopefully never will. Some of the images in this video were, until recently, top secret. Peter Kuran of Visual Concept Entertainment collected them for his documentary, Nukes in Space. Was his last name Kuran? Kuran, K-U-R-A-N.
5: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's got a terrorist sounding name himself. You guys know who James shoot Van him, Allen is? Shoot him with the laser.
4: Is he the guy that Van Allen Belt was named after?
1: That's right. That's the guy. I, I got a Van Allen I... Belt at home. Holds my extra baggy parachute pants up. Yeah, Middle heavyweight
2: champ in the Van Allen League. <laughs> Van Allen described how the Earth is surrounded by belts of high-energy particles, mainly protons and electrons, that are held in place by the magnetic fields, the Van Allen belt.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: At the May 1958 um, press conference of the National Academy in Washington, Van Allen agreed with the military to get involved with a project to set off atomic bombs in the magnetosphere to see if they could disrupt it. The plan was to send rockets hundreds of miles up, higher than the Earth's atmosphere, and then detonate nuclear weapons to C, a, if a bomb's radiation would make it harder to see what was up there, like incoming Russian missiles, B, if an explosion would do any damage to objects nearby, C, if the Van Allen belts would move a blast down the bands to an earthly target, Moscow, for example, and D... If a man-made explosion might alter the natural shape of the belts,
3: that's right. a great idea. Alter the magnetic fields around this planet—they're <laughs> only essential. What to could Albania. possibly go wrong?
4: Yeah. Hey, I wonder if we could mess up one of the things that's been around our planet for. Hey, hey let's, let's of get years. rid of that
3: thing that stops all the solar radiation yeah.
4: from cooking us.
1: Let's <laughs> let's move that around, <laughs> or, or stops it from spinning off our axis and just flying off into space. That's bad science, sir. Yeah. <laughs> well.
2: As we all know, we still have Van Allen belts, so it didn't go horribly wrong. Anabobs had little effect on the magnetosphere, but the hydrogen bomb of July 9th, 1962 did. Codenamed Starfish
1: Prime by the Ooh. military. Sounds like something that would come out of space and so, try to throw Perhaps off sounds our like something Kevin trademarked on this podcast. It was
4: the aquatic version of uh, Transformers Beast Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Autobots, get in the water and swim out.
1: They're all boats they boats and submarines. <laughs> do, do, transform into a
2: rowboat. <laughs> Literally created an artificial extension of the Van Allen belt so it could be seen across the Pacific Ocean from Hawaii to New Zealand. In Honolulu, the explosions were front-page news. Quote, end blast tonight may be dazzling. Good view likely, said the Honolulu advertiser.
1: Oh, oh yeah, get out in the open air and watch the <laughs> hydrogen bomb go off. Feel the magnetic f- fields. <laughs> Rain down upon you. (laughs) Don't wear anything metal. (laughs) (laughs) Hotels
2: held what they called rainbow bomb parties on rooftops and verandas.
1: Rainbow bomb parties? Like they weren't even making bones about the fact they didn't think it was. It was like I don't know what it was up there in the sky. Like, oh, let's go watch the bombs go up. I was
3: at a rainbow bomb party. It was uh, San Francisco in the late seventies. Yeah, yeah, we got something to behold.
2: When the bomb burst, people told of blackouts and strange electrical malfunctions, like garage doors opening and closing (laughs) on their own. Sort of like when you turn on your microwave and your uh, cordless phone, kind of. Is it just up like
1: the guys who, when they were doing like the first sets of bomb tests out of those test ranges, and they would just stand out there with sunglasses on, right? Yeah, like the yeah. five, the yeah. uh, five hundred. Uh, In theory, we away. could ignite the atmosphere. <laughs> In theory, well, if we don't do it, how will we ever learn? Yeah. Well, I-,
3: I also have some space warfare follow-up. The U.S. military put up a unmanned space drone for mm. the sole purposes of militarizing. Outer space. We talked about that, It actually. just landed. Yeah, not-so-secret
4: landing. The the news was all over the internet. Yeah, yeah. Where was that?
3: Uh, well, it landed in the States somewhere. Mm. It's top secret, man. Oh, yeah. I don't know much about it, but I... I we can't I, talk about it on the podcast. I brought so a few links. to Black bags you put people. over our head and <laughs> taken away. <laughs> I, I did do a lot of reading on space warfare when I was working on the Spaceship Zero role-playing game, mm. mm-hmm. which uh, Torin and I co-authored. Published by
2: Green Ronin.
3: Uh, my favorite was the particle beam weapon, which... sounds like a Star Trek thing, and and maybe this is where they got it from. But the essential principle behind it is that it fires a beam of subatomic particles near the speed of light at a target. And the whole principle of how it is destructive is is that the subatomic energy hits the molecules of the material and then scatters them like billiard balls. Now, when molecules start moving faster and get agitated, they heat up. Mm -hmm. So if you heat them up
2: really fast, kablooey. So you get hit with a beam like that and you explode, basically? Essentially, it would blow things up. Swords. Or swords. Swords. What did Banks have to say about swords? Well,
3: (laughs) you guys were questioning the difference. I think it was probably Kevin, actually. We're questioning the difference between a dagger and a sword. Which is? Well, I can read you the
2: exact Please do, in your Banks voice.
3: The difference between a dagger and a sword is primarily size and use. There are no set (laughs) measurements where a dagger becomes a sword and vice versa. A dagger is typically smaller than a sword, though this may not always have been the case. (laughs) Daggers have decreased in size over the ages. When compared to a short sword, an older dagger may have been comparable in size. Also, a dagger is used primarily as a thrusting weapon, whereas a sword is primarily used as a slashing weapon. A dagger is also typically thought of as a secondary weapon in battle, whereas a sword is considered primary.
2: (laughs) Well, Spooky Paradigm, one of our commenters, pointed out there was a new world sword, the Makwahitl.
1: Ah, there was, we were talking about whether or not there were any swords in North America. Yeah, it was a
2: cricket bat ranging from one to two meters in length with the narrow long edges lined semi-continuously
1: with obsidian blades. Oh, yeah, okay, I've seen something like this on uh, uh, Deadliest Warrior.
2: The blades, yeah, the blades would have been sharper than steel, hence the occasional use of obsidian blades in some eye and other surgery, but far more brittle. This would be a slashing sword and could not be used for stabbing. Spanish chronicles tell of the use of the macuahitl. Uh It could supposedly decapitate a horse with one blow or cut a man in half. It kind of
4: looks like a long cricket bat that they've put huge obsidian razor blades on the edges. Yeah. yeah.
2: Tornado.
3: I, I believe um, we Kevin were, mentioned we were, Whirlwind. The, yeah, uh, I couldn't think of it. The foe of, of name, the Avengers. Right? Yeah. Whereas they had a green torpedo-shaped helmet and saw blades on
2: his wrist.
1: Yeah, in the episode itself, I couldn't think of the name of the yeah. character. But now we know it's Whirlwind. Whirlwind. Yeah. Here's my problem with, like, characters, especially with characters that I read about in the 80s. They were all Comics Code characters. Yeah. He's got giant buzzsaw saw blades on his arms, and he whirls around at, like, an incredibly high rate. He should be chopping people into hamburger meat. And I don't remember seeing any of that. Well, in, so in should Kong have Wolverine books. in the eighties, but he never did. They did exactly. Oh that, I think <laughs> when did the limited series come out? Because
3: he'd slice people up in Japan pretty quickly. Yeah, great. ninjas yeah. though. I mean ninjas are kinda asking for it, right? <laughs> well, they don't count as they're like robots. They yeah. don't count as people. Uh, well, when and, you well, well, sign up to be a ninja but I'll, that's I'll, part I'll, of it. During
1: the Phoenix saga, during the Phoenix saga, Wolverine kills one of the uh white king of the Hellfire Club. Okay. So he has killed people in the past. But it no an, was it an off-camera shot, though, out of frame? No, he was... Ju- oh, my God, Wolverine, I can't believe you killed him. He leaps towards him, and then uh, uh, his power was he could make anything way different.
3: Oh, he had gravitation yeah. effects. It, it, oh, well, right. it was, you know, he, could, mass. he, could,
1: he It was a mass oh, effect. okay. Yeah. And so he turned Wolverine super heavy, so Wolverine couldn't attack him, but he was already in the air. So he actually brought an extre- extremely heavy Wolverine right, right. down on so himself. So he didn't pull
3: him down. He but he had more mass coming at him. That's right. So, so he probably hit him like a, a locomotive. At yeah, that
1: like a like a blady locomotive. And there's actually a cutaway where they're in the top floor of the Hellfire Club and they go pounding through all the floors into the sub-basement. Right. <laughs> I thought you were going to say there's a cutaway. They didn't
4: show him actually hitting and cutting him up with super heaviness, but just people going, yee! <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you are complaining that Whirlwind never used his saw blades. That, well, I mean, I certainly,
1: I, I certainly never saw him chop anybody up in You the can thank pieces. the Comics Code Authority for that.
2: So Whirlwind was a member of the second Masters of Evil, participated in a plot to destroy the Avengers, and also shows signs of an obsession with the Wasp as he forces prostitutes to dress her. Uh, in her past costumes, <laughs> and then assaults them.
1: Oh, well, that's kind of creepy and weird. That's no, whirlwind. That must have come later on I in the I certainly this story don't line. remember. <laughs> I certainly don't remember that storyline. You think you're a supervillain. You got better things to do than uh, torment or do prostitutes. Or do you, right? Like, I you knock off a bank, enough, yeah. you get knock a couple hundred whirlwind.
3: thousand. What do you got? Well, hey, I can cut up this guy, or I can, you know... That gets a or little I fast. Can, I cannot cut up this guy. Yeah. He
1: had to actually probably work extra hard to not cut any of the heroes with these giant whirling saw blades. Well, that, on his that's
3: arms. what differentiated him from the other whirlwind powered villains. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can cut him up, sure. But can you not cut him up? <laughs>
1: Yeah, whirlwind rules
4: I could bump into him while spinning really fast Be kind of annoying, might get a little bit of rug burn (laughs) Bring me a whore Bring me a whore, put these wings on That's going to turn into a blister My dad used to give me Indian burns I bet you whirlwind's Indian burns were
3: awesome
1: (laughs) Man, his little brother must be like, dude
3: I wonder what he did No purple nurples I bet he could mix paint pretty good too These are like those paint (laughs) cans It's like when I was younger, I was thinking how great a hockey goalie Spider-Man would be
4: because he could use his spidey sense to know exactly where to be to, like, stop the puck, No, right? no, no. The oh, spidey yeah. sense would he's tell so you. fast no, no, no. and agile. The
1: spidey sense would, would tell you to get out of the way of the puck. You'd be the worst goalie ever. <laughs> <laughs>
2: psychotherapy? Therapy. What do you got for psychotherapy? psychotherapy, psychotherapy.
3: Well, I have been touched by the... An angel? Podcast. The angel of psychotherapy slash caustic soda. Because I, on my wacky field trip through Vermont, went to the museum that honored Phineas Gage. I don't know if you remember Phineas Gage being mentioned in the episode, but he's the gentleman who had a
1: rod blasted through his head in a railroad accident. So... The reason why he totally I re- has an old timey name too. Yeah, railway and Phineas go together like <laughs> peanut yeah. butter and
3: jam. He didn't have an old timey mustache, but I I think that got blasted off during the accident. <laughs> Otherwise, it, before he had this huge handlebar. He missed the mustache
4: far more than that piece of his brain too.
3: <clears throat> Sadly, they had a replica of, of his uh, remains because here's an eerie coincidence: his real remains were donated to the Warren Anatomical Museum. At Harvard University. Whoa. I know. <laughs> Road trip. He considered the iron bar his friend.
2: Ooh, there's and the psychotherapy It was part. a
3: constant companion throughout his life. He took it wherever he went.
1: Because I was about to say... This, My lucky the, the skull-piercing <laughs> rod. The, yeah. This is less a psychotherapy and more just like a, a mangling story, but it sees <laughs> how... <laughs> He, uh, he considered it his personal friend. Maybe there is a psycho <laughs> element to and it. And I will hug it and squeeze it <laughs> and call it George. Uh, and then I had a
3: couple other. Dr. Rob asked what Nash did from A Beautiful Mind. Mm-hmm. He was an economist and a mathematician. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason why I mention it is because his contribution to economics might interest people here. He had the Nash theory for game theory. Game theory, yeah. That, yeah.
1: That's what they posit in the movie. Yeah.
3: It's all com- it's all common sense. There's like one or two theories where you kind of gotta you know go against the grain a bit, but everything's just like, huh, let's see
1: if people want to buy more, the price goes up.
5: Huh? Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's, no.
1: here's my favorite economics jargon that I think is just a bunch of hooey. Invisible hand, right? Yeah. Because there's always a visible hand behind the invisible hand. Well, the problem and the is- invisible hand is just for somebody to like say deflect. Responsibility, yeah. so that nobody could actually be behind any of these sort of market forces. When in fact, it's the actions on a bunch of people's parts that create those market forces. Well, that's, so, that's I mean, the thing about it, all the theorem. The for e-
3: economics. A lot of them are um, ideal lab setting
1: but, in a uh, vacuum. Yes, in a vacuum, all the economists will strangle. Yeah, be but then off. you have
3: and then. But then human behavior comes in, <laughs> and also they can't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, precisely. But then you add humans to the element, and their theory. Well, it should work this way, and it kind of is, but the invisible hand must have... Uh, must have had something to do with it. Yeah, it must have the tickled in- the balls.
2: The inv- uh, <laughs> Speaking of tickling the balls and the invisible hand, that makes me think of the stranger, which is the term for the sexual practice of sitting here on your hand until you goes numb. <laughs> and then masturbating. And then masturbating. <laughs> so it's like, it's not you. <laughs>
4: I know what I'm (laughs) doing
5: tonight. (laughs) One night, Farmer around was taking a hand. He locked up the barnyard with the graves of the can. Out in the hen house up the stood, when he hollered, Who's that? This is what he heard. They ain't nobody here but us chickens. They ain't nobody here at all. So quiet yourself stop that fuss. They ain't nobody here but us. We chickens trying to sleep and you bust in and hobble, 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 hobble with your chin They ain't nobody here but us chickens. They ain't nobody here at all. You're stomping around, and shaking the ground, You're kicking up an awful fuss. We chickens trying to sleep, and you bust in and hobble, 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 hobble. It's a sin. Tomorrow is a busy day. We got things to do. We got eggs to lay. We got ground to dig and worms to scratch. Takes a lot of setting, getting chicks to hatch. There ain't nobody here but us chickens. There ain't nobody here at all. So quiet, Sam. Stop that fuss, there ain't nobody here but us Kindly point that gun the other way And hobble, hobble, hobble off and hit the head
1: Who wants
4: to talk about air disasters? I do, I do. Lucas Black does.
1: Well, he is the he expert. Was, he was the guest, yeah. and he commented on the episode. I think that's kind of cheating. What did Lucas Black have to say?
4: Uh, well, I liked his follow-up to your comment about the frozen chickens being used at the jet propulsion laboratory. What and are we talking about, about here. here? Let's get some uh,
3: okay, con- well, context. Okay, the, well, the, the root story was I had a buddy who was a janitor at an aeronautical business place, place and he used to uh, clean up, and he did, had a really good salary, but... Then he had to clean the the test labs, and they would test engines' safety by throwing chickens into the to the engines. And like then... as
1: if a, a bird in flight would get caught in the Exactly.
3: Right. Except, instead of using live birds, they used the dead Wait, variety.
1: These weren't live chickens? They were not no. live. This is voodoo science, I tell you. Yeah, they can't. They can only. They can only. I was gonna say. My theory they can is can only is they
3: approximate.
4: My theory is they don't care about the effect on the chicken, so it doesn't matter if it's alive or dead. They you just care about the Think effect. Think of how much more engine.
1: satisfying it would be when you throw it in the engine and it goes. <laughs> I could add that in artificially.
2: There must be an app for jet engines, right? <laughs> Tilt your iPhone to
3: have the chicken. To pull back on the catapult and then tilt forward to have it thrown. Yeah.
2: yeah.
4: And you shake it. It's it's yeah. the new game for people who hate angry birds. This is uh, All you do is fling them in the jet engines.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right. And make artwork out of the blood spatter.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pollock's pigeons. <laughs> Pollock's pigeons. There we go. Say it. TM. Thanks.
3: <laughs> Anyways, the whole story is that I had a, he had to clean the wall behind the engine and every day had to scrape this crap off. And he said it just got so bad he couldn't take it anymore, and he quit. And this was a good, high-paying job, but he just couldn't hack
1: it. He quit over chicken guts?
3: Well, I think by the time he got to it, there was a number of remains on the wall. Chicken and it had been there for a while, rain. as I hear it, so it was crusted on. So it wasn't just a matter of taking a hose, hmm. cleaning it off. He had yeah. to get in there with so, after, elbow so basically
2: after, like, a week of testing, and he's just scrubbing toilets or whatever, and they bring him in, and they're, well, now your well, next I mean- task is to clean up this room. And he's like, no, I quit. <laughs> I mean, scientific, scientific
3: labs are generally pretty clean yeah. because you don't want to have any outside factors mm. messing up your experiments. So as a janitor making a nice salary, pretty cushy job. You know, okay. I replace the toilet paper easy. I spray everything with this giant bottle of sanitizer. Yeah, this was not yeah. Jet Propulsion Lab. This is not what I signed up for. I'm out of here. Okay. It would be awesome, though, if he, like, threw his mop down.
1: I quit. <laughs> 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 it's
4: one live chicken.
3: Well, on that note, so that's the that's the lead up to Lucas Black's follow up.
4: He said, in fact, when a new high speed train was being developed, the designers asked for some info from the aviation testers as to how to launch the chickens. Test after test, and the train designers just smashed windshield after thicker windshield. They went back to the aviation designers and asked what they were doing wrong. The aviation guys went to see the test and just gave one comment: defrost the chicken. <laughs> That is pretty awesome. A little parched.
2: I'm going to open up a new caustic soda. (laughs) Uh, My good friend Geiselbert uh, says that fans of air disasters should try to see a performance of Charlie Victor Romeo, a stage play that is entirely performances of the recordings on cockpit voice recorders. The depressurized bulkhead disaster mentioned in the podcast is among the crashes performed. It's amazing and has a cult following among pilots. Charlie Victor Romeo, or CVR, derived from the NATO phonetic alphabet, is aviation lingo for cockpit voice recorder. Mm. The play begins with a flight attendant demonstrating the safety equipment and reminding the audience to fasten their seatbelts and turn off cell phones. Prior to each scene, a display screen shows the name of the flight and reason for the disaster, for example, icing or multiple bird strikes. At the end of each flight the screen shows the number of casualties.
1: The, the, well okay if there is a cast then they obviously they act it out. Yes. I would actually watch that. Yeah. I, yeah. I would see that. That, that would be fun. that would be interesting.
3: I have a related note. As as we are uh, enlightened on the show, Lucas's father was the originator of the endoscope.
1: He invented that to look into the uh, behind the machinery in the cockpit. Yeah, the went uh, wrong. <clears throat> the alti-
3: yeah. altimeter. Yeah, the bar wouldn't move up and down, and the guy went vertical and That's plunged right. so tail. He burst. invented
1: that tool because as soon as yeah. you take the yeah. thing off, then you ruin what was behind. the thing So then we the all know off. what an
3: endoscopy is. It's looking inside your the body end. for medical reasons. Uh, my favorite, of course, colonoscopy. There's the enteroscopy. Anybody know where that enters? Uh, I'm going to go with your mouth.
1: Navel. Nose. Small intestine. You don't go in through the... Th- it's to look at the uh, small intestine, but you go in yeah, through the... Butt. Probably going through the navel. Yeah. I don't <laughs> want to think about dream. going in through you, the outdoor. When, when you go in for an enteroscopy, you're hoping they go in through the navel. Arthroscopy? Uh, you go into joints, like knees That's and That's right. Yeah. It's, the, it's the interior of the joints. I know because S- I've, I've had my knee scoped. Cystoscopy. Going through your cysts. There's only so many orifices, right?
4: Uh, I'm going to go ear. I'm going to say sister. You don't have to go through
2: an orifice. They
3: can <laughs> to, make an orifice go, anywhere go in, in your body.
1: Go in through your sister. Yeah. I like they, that. they
3: can make orifices. So. Mm-hmm. But no, this one is the urinary tract. Oh. Urinary tract. Ooh. So of those three that I listed, guess which one I've had? Uh, the u- the urethroscopy. The cystoscopy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Thanks a lot, Black. <laughs> Thanks a You lot. and your endoscope If <laughs> it wasn't for him You'd be dead hey, by now That's right Too bad No, no No, no It was <laughs> just an infection It was just a bladder infection Caused from a biking accident When I was a kid
1: Oh, yeah Biking accident Yeah like those girls Who get oh, yeah. gonorrhea From their Nobody. bicycle seat
3: No, no We were doing We had an old keg barrel So we built a ramp <laughs> Of course ramp. you did Of course you did You, you yeah. just grew up in yeah. Chilliwack After all No, I grew up in Abbotsford You grew up in Abbotsford Oh, well, it's the same difference. No, here. it's <laughs> harder to get a keg In Abbotsford <laughs> <Yeah>. Trust me <laughs> Well, not anymore. Now that since prohibition ended, yeah, <laughs>
2: finally in Abbotsford <abstract> last year, <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, we set up a keg barrel sideways and we s- built a, a homemade ramp out of, of a couple did. old fence oh, yeah. planks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I'm like, makes perfect sense. And we live on the hill, so I got at the top of the hill, oh, no. <laughs> <whistles> pedaling my little
5: bike. The
1: <whistles> bike made that noise. was noise? Uh, it he did.
3: Made, well, I had a No, no, I had um, I had cards in the spokes. Mm-hmm. So as I come down, I hit the ramp. I clear the barrel, but I start. The bike is a little front heavy. <laughs> and starts to nose down as I yeah. come down the of other course, end of the jump.
1: As, as gravity will do.
3: Yeah, and so then my feet came off the pedals. Oh no! Came down hard on the crossbar. Boom! Right on the taint. Damaged broke, the urinary tract.
1: In the immortal words of Johnny, "Be good." Broke my
3: dick, coach. Had to go see the uh, urologist. Got cyst- a cystoscopy.
2: Tentacles.
1: Da 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 da.
2: In the
4: news.
0: (laughs) Hacker arrested for
2: octopus virus. A hardened computer hacker has been arrested for writing a computer virus that systematically destroys all the files on victims' PCs and replaces them with homemade manga images of squid, (laughs) octopus, and sea urchins. Masato Nakasuji of Osaka Prefecture said, I wanted to see how much my computer programming skills had improved since the last time I was arrested. <laughs> Specialist police officers handling high tech crime said Nakatsuji is suspected of writing the I- Ikatako squid octopus virus, which was distributed disguised as a file for anime songs. If the virus is left unchecked, all files in the computer's hard disk become infected when a user tries to open a file. All the individual can access is a manga image of a marine invertebrate.
3: My only problem with that story is they use the word hardened to describe a hacker. Mm. (laughs) Maybe
4: the guy does a lot of crunches. This is the I, I think
3: it's more likely that he has a crust over top of him, yeah.
1: sitting still in one spot. What,
2: what do you the, do for a, the, a living? The Cheeto oil on his fingers of <laughs> <That's right. laughs>
1: Well, you, you know you know how they say when you, when you send somebody to jail, they come out an even more hardened criminal than when they went in. I mean, this is obviously proves the case. He went in a computer nerd and <laughs> came out an even bigger computer nerd. Harder computer nerd. <laughs> we went right. to hacker prison where That's all right. the hackers yeah. learn yeah. more. Yeah. Than hackers Did you check schools? out his ink, you become like, more elite. He's got uh, he's got his prison tats. That's right. He's got his right? Russian it's all binary.
3: He yeah. got into the Russian mob, and now he's got his eight pointed star. He's got on he's, his chest.
2: He's got DOS on one set of knuckles and <laughs> Linux on the other. Now he's got Fortran on it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We were asking about squid ink, and Matt K has resolved the issue in okay. terms of cephalopod ink being used as actual ink. I thought you guys might be interested to know that the Spanish word for cuttlefish is sepia. I was in sepia oh, wow. toned, but modern use or sepia for- ink. But modern use for cephalopod ink is generally limited to cooking, where it is used as a food coloring, for example, in pasta and sauces.
4: Oh, I think I knew that. I think I saw some of that at
2: the TNT, actually. And recent studies have shown that cephalopod ink is toxic to some cells, including tumor cells.
1: Mm. So, save the squid. Save the squid,
2: defeat cancer. And from July 2010, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the Iranian leader, says Paul the octopus, who currently who correctly predicted the outcome of World Games, is a symbol... World Cup Games. ...is a symbol of all that is wrong with the Western world. (laughs) He claims that the octopus is a symbol of decadence and decay among his enemies. Paul, the octopus, who lives at the Oberhausen Sea Life Center in Germany, won the hearts of the Spanish by predicting their World Cup victory. He became an international star after predicting the outcome of all seven German World Cup matches accurately. However... The Iranian president accused the octopus of spreading Western propaganda and superstition. Those who believe in this type of thing cannot be the leaders of the global nations that aspire, like Iran, to human perfection, basing themselves
1: in the love of all sacred values. It's A funny. Arab accent is terrible. Uh, I yeah. wasn't really trying to do accent. Oh, I kind right,
4: of man. agree <laughs> with him. I don't think anybody who believes that an octopus can predict the outcome
1: of a soccer game should be
4: leading a country. You know what I think? <laughs> I, I think o-
1: Ahmed Denejad, I think it's one of those, me um, thinks he protesteth too much. Oh, he wished he had yeah. his own soothsayer squid. That's right. <laughs> He's got a little octopus hey, envy. Uh, yeah, gosh. a little octopus envy, absolutely. Yeah, that's
3: right. Jealous much,
1: Billions of dollars uh, of oil uh, money uh, are
4: going into octopus psychic research
1: in
3: yeah. Iran right now. Yeah. And the Germans just got one out of just luck. <laughs> uh, buried Alive uh, But uh, yes On August 9th I wrote I'm not sure how you guys missed this one <laughs> But how about the film Buried Alive With Jennifer Jason Lee? Also I recall the story from earlier in the year About a Turkish girl getting buried alive oh. She had been looking at boys So her father
2: buried her And they figured she was alive Because when they exhumed her She had dirt in her lungs This was 16 year old uh, huh. Medine Memi slumped in a sitting position with her hands tied, found in an earthen grave with large amounts of soil in her lungs and stomach. Ah, uh, honor better, killings. Yeah, is
1: it better that your daughter be a slut or be dead? I well, guess. I don't know what yeah. looking constitutes slutty behavior. Well, you know, but. a guilty mind equals guilty actions, obviously. I guess so. Just to propagate the Turkish species, they have to kind of get it on every once in a while.
2: But only within the strictures and confines of the proper religious authorities. Mm -hmm. More than 200 women a year in Turkey are killed by family members. Community workers say the figures are likely higher, as many go unreported. In the Kurdish reason, the practice of honor killing has become a well-known ritual that is chilling in its precision. When a young woman is suspected of dishonoring the family by wearing tight clothes, having unauthorized contact with young men, or falling victim to rape... Ah! Falling victim to rape... A family council is called, and a family member appointed as an executioner. That makes me really angry.
1: Yeah.
4: I can understand, like, I I don't agree with, but I can understand a father being overly protective and being like, why would you wear tight clothing? Don't touch that boy, you know, whatever, and carrying it up to that crazy
2: extreme of killing her for that. But
4: falling victim to rape, it's like saying you're going to kill her because she dishonored
2: you because she tripped. So the police went to her home after a neighbor reported that Medin had not been seen for a month. They found her body in a hole, newly covered with concrete Uh, A local organization that campaigns against honor killings said Memi, one of ten children, had gone three times to the police to complain that she was being beaten, but was sent back to her family each time. In the past, families often chose their youngest males as the killers of erring girls. Quote, unquote. Because courts would give lenient sentences, but after the 2005 reform, a new practice of forced suicides sprang up. According to media reports, victims will be locked in their rooms for days with rat poison, a pistol, or rope, in order to spare their families the legal retribution of killing themselves.
1: So, oh my God, I want to torch this entire country. There's enough no, good like, ones there because yeah.
4: they, they passed really strict laws. And right? they, brought, he, us and they brought
1: us Turkish delight. You've got to give them that. Delight. you got to give them I, uh, Turkish <laughs> delight. <laughs> Damn, Honor killings on one side, big Turkish Turks, Turks <laughs> on the other. Oh, <laughs> the scales of justice weigh heavily on my shoulders.
3: I do love a big Turk. That's what I heard about you.
2: <laughs> so, on that light note...
3: Well, Joel has an interesting comment, I Who's thought. Joel? Something the escape from a coffin process overlooks is this. It is rare, at least in American, for a coffin, wooden or otherwise, to be placed directly into the ground. Generally, the coffin itself is placed within a concrete container, sometimes called a vault, before the entire thing is covered in dirt. My understanding, this is in part to prevent the terrible embalming chemicals from le- leaking into the surrounding soil over time. Also, because the vault is air watertight it increases the length of the preservation of the corpse. Mm. I think
2: I just totally undermined our entire episode.
4: Yeah, I don't know Oof. if that's true because from the stories that I got from uh, from Jessica Pink when she was working at the, uh, the graveyard. but I, I
2: think those, I, a lot of those were probably
3: buried before the laws.
4: Did I talk about that story of hers? Because it's like I don't one think of the so. grossest things. No, I've I don't ever think I this. Yeah, yeah, she used this to be a, a follow up. So she worked as a as a groundskeeper uh, for a graveyard. She worked for a friend of ours. Um, Creepy Gord.
1: Oh man, that's an unfortunate no. first name. When
4: I <laughs> Gord yep. was his Out. first name. Um, oh no, that's what I was talking about. Horrible, horrible. So person. generally, what happened was, you know, she would ride the by a bull. ride the lawnmower. If a fence got wrecked or graffitied, they'd repaint it or fix it and repaint it. That kind of thing, you know, keep the bushes trimmed and all that kind of stuff. But the graveyard was uh, right up against a mountain, so a lot of soil settled quite a bit. So a lot of the coffins would end up moving from where their where their grave markers were because underground it moved a little more or oh, a little less. Tectonic or something like that. Yeah. Oh, tectonic plates. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so in order to bury new people, they very often had to dig it up. Early with the, to make sure there was nothing there and if there was, they would have to do a bigger dig pull the old bodies out and reposition them somewhere else and she tells this one story about her, and I think it was her and Gordon, one other guy. Uh, we call them night shift. When the guy Ooh, that they were pulling we up will. got buried, they had a plastic bag containing his entrails, oh, which I guess they do because they pull it out. Did right? Yeah, yeah. that story. So he's uh, beside the body or n- uh, next to the body or something. There's a, this plastic bag with the entrails, and they've, so it's all rotted and all that kind of stuff, but the plastic bag is there. So they're handing up... The like he's the guy's picking it up by hand. This thick, thick, thick plastic bag full of I don't know eighty year old human guts. Guts, and he's handing it up to uh, Gord and Jess up, standing out of the grave. And I guess there's a root sticking oh, no. out of the ground. And as they pull it up, the bag tears open, <laughs> and eighty year old liquefied liquefied human inside viscera
2: comes.
4: Pouring out yes. all over this guy, gets on Jess, gets on Gord. They all start vomiting. <laughs> the guy is unfortunately stuck in a six-foot grave, filled with human entrails now.
1: With his two coworkers vomiting on yeah. his uh, I've heard this
3: story, and I had another friend who worked at a graveyard. and awesome. exhuming. He had to exhume bodies for two RCMP investigations. They, they had a backhoe for theirs, and mm-hmm. he said in one, the backhoe split the coffin oh. and tore the... Basically, tore the corpse right. into bits. Stuff went everywhere, and one of the guys started puking. But it, nothing hit anybody in that yeah. story. But, pff, easily tops was the one with the bag of. Can you innards? ever
4: mentally wash that off your body, like
3: <laughs> fifty
4: years later? They were all in the very <laughs> like be extremely hot shower be in the for retirement a... home It'll scrubbing.
3: Be... What about self surgery? I can safely say that this particular episode has revolted more caustic soda listeners than any other i I read a lot of comments that people were like i had to pull over that only (laughs) makes
1: it even more i think i think if there's a gold
3: standard for caustic soda podcasts, i think
2: self-surgery is the bar oh i got something for apes gorilla lice gorilla lice what exactly went on between gorillas and early humans
5: no one
2: knows for sure but scientists say one thing at least seems certain the big apes gave us pubic lice
1: Oh. Those bastards. Crabs come from apes.
2: Researchers made the uncomfortable discovery during a DNA study reconstructing the evolutionary history of lice in humans and our primate relatives. The transfer occurred about 3.3 million years ago. That's when the gorilla louse and the human pubic louse
1: separated into distinct species. So were we having sex with gorillas? That's, the, that's how they think
3: AIDS came along. Modern humans... No. People weren't
1: humping monkeys.
3: People have done weirder things. (laughs) Ricky
4: Gervais has a really great bit about that, which is like, well, you either uh, were eating monkeys. Oh, no, no, I wasn't eating monkeys. Or you had sex with a monkey. I I was eating monkeys.
2: (laughs) Prior to the transfer, our ancestors were troubled by only one species of body louse, as chimpanzees and gorillas are today. Uh, Why humans can harbor two species, head lice and pubic lice, has been a mystery until now pubic lice are spread most commonly through sexual contact, but that's not necessarily how our ancestors acquired the parasite from gorillas. Not Uh,
1: necessarily, but not to the exclusion of. Yeah.
2: It could be also that humans picked up the parasite simply by living in close proximity to gorillas, perhaps using the animal's sleeping sites or scavenging gorilla remains.
1: You know, when you lay with a gorilla. It could have just been cuddling. Yeah. (laughs) Spooning. Pubic (laughs) cuddling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's you got to the call from now you on. S- but as caustic, hey, what's going on this weekend? A little pubic cuddling. Yeah. I mean, I, I think just ha- the act of having sex with a gorilla. I mean, you're you're de- again rolling the bones on that one. Yeah. Hey, I like hairy women. <laughs> pubic cuddling—that's kind of like <laughs> rounding third, right?
4: <laughs> rounding third, but not bothering to go home.
3: Lice are actually pretty amazing because they have a very specific environment they live in, and if, so they have to live in your hair. If everyone shaved their heads... Like an Alien 3. Oh, like an yeah. Alien 3. THX li-
4: 1138 This yeah. makes a lot of sense. Lice wouldn't, wouldn't...
3: Couldn't cease live. Cease to exist. Yeah, it would cease to exist.
4: We should do it. We should organize like a month of every, every human on the planet shaving their
1: entire bodies. Just I wonder or if Mar- would live somewhere where there's lots of head lice. Stand one guy like in the middle of the place with a head, full head, like an afro, big afro, big have afro, have everybody else shave their heads simultaneously, and see if you'd see the sea of head lice, like just charging up this guy. <laughs> there'd be a cloud. Of,
4: <laughs> there'd be an evil black cloud of lice <laughs> flying from miles away to get to the one guy with hair
2: in his head. Well, that wraps up another follow-ups episode.
1: Uh, yeah, we want to thank everybody who went to the website or went to the Facebook page and left comments because it, uh, it's more grist for the mill.
4: Yeah, it's so good to get this kind of feedback. Uh, we're starting to see people talk about us elsewhere. There's a really great thread on the Skeptics Guide to the Universe fan forums where they're talking very uh, nicely about us, which yeah, is I, so
1: cool. I want to definitely throw a, a shout out a shout-out to the Skeptics guys who put that page up, that thread up, and everybody who commented on it because... Made you feel warm and fuzzy inside. Yeah. We've
2: said this before, but... And we're
1: not used to feeling warm and fuzzy. No. Uh, well, I mean, Torrin's face is, but other than that... And please do
4: it some more. It's so... Like, that's, that's the number one thing we can ask of you, is tell your friends about the podcast. Share them, share it with them. Tell them that they should listen in.
3: I'd just like to say thanks for letting me come on and uh, nitpick you guys for an, an hour or so. Well, all I have to say to you is... Thanks! thanks.
4: That was good.